Welcome to Escape Velocity, the podcast dedicated to your financial independence journey. I'm your host, Chuck Wokajan, and I'm here to guide you towards a life free from financial constraints, breaking free from financial gravity, and embracing your financial future. We explore smart investing, frugal living, side hustles, and entrepreneurship by bringing you expert insights and inspiring success stories. Whether you're starting out or already on your journey, join us to manage money wisely, grow your wealth, and take control of your destiny. All right, guys. Um, Welcome to 8K Velocity. So this is um, actually my first um, podcast. Um, In 8K Velocity, I intend to um, teach people how to be financially independent, right? Um, it's a passion of mine to um, educate my community um, what and what um, real assets that are out there that could act as a vehicle for your financial independence. Um, we plan to help people um, escape the um, gravitational pull, the financial gravitational pull, right? And become financially independent and grow um, be with their family and achieve all that they were created to be, right? So today I have um, my brother, Dami. Um, I was asking him how to say his last name, but <laughs> he never showed me how to say it. But today we are going to be talking about Dami's journey to um, financial independence through apartment investing. So he's going to be walking us through um, his own journey, how he was able to accomplish that. I was really amazed when I heard his story. Um, so this is going to be a conversation, right? Um, towards the end, you all can come up to um, unmute yourself and ask some questions, you know. So we have somebody here who has walked um, the walk, um, has been able to successfully transition from his um, W2 income. He's going to share his story with us and how he was able to do that through the vehicle of, of apartments, right? Um, so I'm going to introduce myself to you guys. My name is Chukuka John. I was born in Nigeria, um, spent 20 years of my life there, moved over to um, United States, um, went to school here, joined the military. That was how I was able to get my citizenship. Um, but my journey into investing really um back home in nigeria my dad had um, some real estate investments right um so from time to time he would send me to go um collect rents from his tenants and um there was this particular day that um, i went to do what my dad had asked me to do and um, so he sent me to this particular man i went there knocked on the door and um, the man was playing with his kids right and when I, I told the man, hey, my dad asked me to collect the rent from, from you for last month, I saw the change in his mood. He changed from being all this happy to gloomy, right? Because obviously the money wasn't there, right? So that moment I had, I had um, some people would call it epiphany, right? I had, I had a moment where I was like, mm, I really want to be like my dad, who people pay rent to, and not somebody that is going to be paying rent to someone, right? So that was the seed was planted in me when um when I was really young, right? And um I came over to United States, 
read them, Rich Dad and Poor Dad, that kind of fueled the fire in me to start real estate investments. But with apartment investment, I knew I wanted to be able to be doing my W-2 income and also my W-2 job and also invest in something that is going, it's not going to be too much um, um, time consuming for me. And I knew that if I were I was going to start by doing a um, single family home, I don't have the time to be a landlord, you know. So when I researched about apartment investing, that I can actually hire a manager, someone to sit in the office and attend to the tenants. That was the the, the it felt really right for me to to be in that field. So um, that was why I am in apartment investing, and for many other reasons, right? Um, that we are going to um, dig in today. So, but um, that's just my little story of how I started investing. And I've invested in like six different apartment deals till date, which totals um, around um, $1,800. Um, so, but today we have uh, my brother, Dami. I went to, recently went to um, an old capital conference and I met this guy, Raj, and we were just talking. I was like, yeah, I'm from Nigeria. He was like, oh, I actually have a partner who is um, who is Nigerian. Can I connect you to him? I was like, yeah, sure. And um, I called Dami on the phone that particular day and we just bonded, you know, um, just the chemistry there. We have like similar visions and we all want to create wealth together. But not only that, to extend that knowledge to our community, right? Show people how things are being done here and how they can improve their life, right? So... Guys, please help me work on Dami. Dami, just give us an introduction of yourself um, and let's get started. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And uh, it's a pleasure to be among people that actually want to take the future into their own hands. And so I want to take the bull by the horn, tired of, you know, having to wait from paycheck to paycheck. And of course, a lot of people are well-to-do, all right? I know that a lot of people actually have bands in the bank accounts right and that money is sitting there idle doing nothing when it should be working for them do you know that you know if you're if you're saving money you're actually earning negative interest but we're going to get to that later in the in the session so my name is Uluwa Damlala Fadipe and I am a real estate syndicator an operator or sponsor whatever you want to call it and I run a company called Westwood Capital, Westwood Capital Partners, where we help investors like you maximize your investment potential. And by doing that, we give you tax advantage and also uh, various aspects of you know things that come with it, right? So we help you maximize your investment potential with uh, risk-adjusted and tax-advantaged multifamily real estate. So that's what we primarily do. I have worked in corporate America uh, for, for a while. I've actually worked in corporate America for over 10 years. And in that time, I have seen how people make wealth and how we work for them. So I've worked with different financial businesses, right? I've worked at different financial corporations. I've worked at Fulton Financial Corporation, which is really big in the Northeast. Um, that's a regional bank. And I left there, Bank BNB Paribas. 
and then ultimately uh, JP Morgan, right? So at JP Morgan, uh, I worked in the energy energy group where I had direct interaction and liaison with bankers and clients. Uh, essentially, the role that I took was if there if we were if we were admitting a, a client, I will travel with the banker to the client and then explain because of my legal background and then explain the complexities of their transaction and how we can uh, admit this client without the force. I had the perfect knowledge of the oil and gas laws and the compliance that has to do with it. So we will onboard the client and I would go with the banker to their location and I will go to their field with the banker and then we will see how they actually make money, right? They own oil wells. I mean, these are funds, these are private equity funds and these are uh, large family offices, right? And they invested in oil and gas, they invested in multifamilies, apartment buildings, and I'm talking about big institutional quality apartment buildings. So they did that. And then I look at the books and, I, you know, everything was just going smoothly for them. So the turning point for me was actually, actually I've had several turning points. I thought about quitting, uh, working in corporate America. So number one, the, the first turning point was I called the client and this client was over in Bahamas right? Left a voicemail. They called me back. Hey, I'm over in Bahamas. And and I saw the transaction that was going on, the real estate transaction that was going on at the time, millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars. I'm like, this guy has the time to be chilling in Bahamas and we are working his money here, right? So I'm like, this guy has one head. He has two eyes. There is nothing he's doing. This guy, I swear to God, this guy is not smarter than I am. So why am I working for this guy, right? So that was the first time that I started to think I wasn't made to do this. There had to be something more. And another time that this, you know, I had a thinking, I had a reflection was the fact that, you know, I will commute. At the time I was living in North Jersey, Elizabeth. If you're familiar with Jersey, you'll know Elizabeth, right? And I was working in Manhattan, downtown. And I will get on the train. So two trains. The one was the NJ Transit. The other one was the was the one that goes from Penn Station to downtown Manhattan. 45 minutes each. An hour, 45 minutes. No, an hour, 30 minutes each way going to work. And I'll get to work. I'm so knackered. I, I don't even have to drive to work anymore. So I'm tired, right? I'm tired. So what what, what do I got to do? And I, there's another guy that's in my office. There's also now he's a partner at Westwood Capital. We started Westwood Capital together. And he also was feeling the same pain that I was feeling. Now the straw, the last straw that broke, uh, how did how did they say that that thing? The the straw that broke the camel's back was yes, that's correct. It was the end of the year. 
it was the it was supposed to do for bonuses and all of that. Guess how much my bonus was, guys. You guys guess. Just take a wild guess. Laura, Michael, Yemi. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Quite close. How much was the bonus? Right? It is on how much was it? You're on mute. If you say it's close to 10k, then I'll go for 15. Okay. 1500. Wow. Okay. After no working my butt off for 365 days, I had 1600 in bon 1500 in bonuses. Right? I just knew that there is no way. <laughs> there is no way I will keep doing this. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're JP Morgan. There is no way that I'll keep doing this. There's got to be a way. I, I, so I took I took the leap. I quit. I moved to Dallas. And ever since then, it was rough in the beginning, but ever since then, it's, uh, you, you know, the only regret that I have now is not quitting sooner. So you, so you, you quit your job before you started investing in apartments or... No, no, I quit to to so I already had you know fourplex. At the okay. Time, right? Okay. I already had a fourplex, and I saw that if I doubled down on my efforts in acquiring property, acquiring properties, I would actually get uh to a to a I'll get to a spot where I'm able to quit, a hundred percent, right? So I thought so I calculated my freedom number. Does anyone here know what a freedom number is? Freedom number. Can you take a guess what a freedom number is? That's like was it? Oh, for, for me, yeah. How much you think you would need to survive? Like, well, not necessarily just survive. How much you think will cover all your expenses and things that you think you need? So you hundred percent. Yeah, Fumi's right on the money there. Right, the freedom number is how much. It's not extra. It's not flex money. It is what's going to cover your expense. And when I'm talking about expense, I'm talking about your bills, your shelter, your food, your basic necessity of life. That is your freedom number. Now, your vacation money to travel to, you know, Dominican Republic or to travel to Cancun, that's not your freedom number, right? So I calculated what I needed for my freedom, and I still didn't need it. But I, but I just thought I, I'm done. I'm done. I, I'm just done. I just needed one. I just did one more deal, and then I'm done. So, I, so then I quit, and I moved to 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 Dallas, Texas, and you know it was rough in the beginning. It was really rough in the beginning, and 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 just you know just grinding it out, grinding it out, and and just trying to make sure that that uh you know i kept moving on and mm -hmm. i didn't let anything put me down and so that that's how i really got into it full time right um and, and there's no regret ever since so dami what was your freedom number what number were you targeting and hitting so so my freedom so my rent was i wasn't married then so my, my rent was 16 27 Okay. Right. Mobile, mobile uh, phone, which was about, you know, I never pay for mobile phones. I never, I don't, I don't have any mobile phone plans. So it was just 
uh, and at the time it was what was the I think it was Xfinity, right? Xfinity was Spectrum in Dallas mm-hmm. Spectrum. Yeah. So my Spectrum was sixty dollars. I collected my Spectrum, which was sixty dollars, mm-hmm. and feed in. Uh, you know, I calculated feed in. Feed in came to about uh, about twelve hundred, something like that. I think okay. the twelve hundred was maybe for two weeks, and then and a month was like twenty four hundred. I can't remember the exact numbers right now. Right. So, so like rough that. estimate. Rough estimate was around. It was around three thousand. Three thousand, okay. Yeah, it was around three. It wasn't up to three thousand, maybe twenty something hundred, right? Okay. So and and the bulk of it was the um credit card credit card debt and also okay and, and, the, and the thing, but I was almost hitting that with my rental property, but okay. I wasn't one hundred percent hitting it. I think you I, I was you were just already. you were close enough with just a fourplex. Right. Oh, okay. the story of the fourplex. I'm going to tell you the story of the fourplex. Okay. Right. Fourplex. Okay. I am never selling the fourplex in my portfolio. That's like the the cash cow, right? So mm-hmm. we're going to get there. Okay. Uh, we're going to get there in a little bit. That's great. So, so freedom number is that number you feel like um you need to sustain your financial present financial capacity, right? So your rents, everything that you need to be able to live your life comfortably not your ideal lifestyle no that's not your freedom number so that's what he was trying to explain i think my own is roughly with with a family um of two um looking at 4000 to 4500 so dami i have a question for you we have like three categories of um financial buckets right so we have the active income we have the passive income and then we have the portfolio income right so basically, when you talk about the whole freedom number, you are thinking about a way to um, have your passive income generate up to that particular number so you can leave your active income. Can you explain deep down to us? Because most of the people here, right, they are either W2 income, they don't know anything about portfolio or um, passive income. So what is the difference between all of this, um, all these three? Okay. So first, but before I move forward, I want to I want to make a disclaimer, right? And just there is nothing wrong with W two income, and there is no rush to quit your W two income. If you are a W two earner, and you actually some people are some people feel fulfilled doing what they're doing, right? Some people actually are happy to go to work in the morning. I was always sad to go to work in the morning. I'm not yeah. a morning person. Yeah. If I wake me up in the morning, I'll hate you for life. Because I hate to be, to, you know, to have to get up in the morning. So that some people are cool with it. Some people are programmers. Some people are uh, attorneys and physicians, and they love it. They love what they do. Mm-hmm. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with being a W two earner. Yeah. Now, what is wrong is actually thinking it's your father's name that's written on the wall of where you work, and you are indispensable right that's the that's what i see that's wrong with it right not planning financially to have a way out right if tomorrow shit excuse my french hits the fan and you're let go what's what's what are you going to fall back on and some people don't even think about this now that's the problem that i have with people 
Now, going back to your question about financial buckets and all of that, of course, you were right when you talked about the active income. Uh, and that's the W-2. Uh, being a real estate professional, you can you know, qualify as a real estate professional and your income from real estate will be classified as active income. That is one uh, bucket. The other bucket is actually being passive in uh in investing now it's really it's really interesting because a lot of people look at it from the standpoint of can i save on taxes when uh when i'm just a passive when i'm just a passive investor because they look, they think back and they say, "Oh, you say this is tax advantage. You say multifamily or real estate investing is tax advantage." So, what do you mean by it being a tax advantage uh, venture? Now, what we mean by that is not to say that you can deduct your W two taxes from the tax advantages that 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 real estate provides. What we mean is actually the fact that you can get rich with real estate, with actually investing in real estate and not having to pay any taxes on it. That is what we mean by you can save on taxes. It's not your W-2 income. You will still pay W-2, except, of course, you qualify under some certain exemptions, which um, the real estate professional is one of, right? And also some other investments, uh, investment types like the oil and gas, short-term rental, solar, and all of that. So, um, so so going back to your question, so the passive, so is this essentially, uh, if you have a portfolio, it could still be largely classified under uh, passive, right? Because you are not active, except if you quit your W two income and you're hundred percent active. Now, a lot of people try to play double game, which it's never going to win in the tax court. Uh, if, if you try to do that, you'll be lucky to get away in the tax court and not be found guilty of trying to play double game. Uh, if you have a W-2 income and you're a real estate investor and you get a K-1 loss on your, on, on, on your, uh, on, on your, you know, at the end of the year, you get a K-1 form, there's a loss in there. And you're trying to say that you know, you were active in the real estate venture. Good luck. Good luck in the tax court because you're going to fail because you really have to prove to the tax man that you've been active over 2,000 hours and over half, half of your time that you, you've, you've been spending your time on that passive income, which you're trying to claim that it's active. Right? Actually, I had a situation like that uh, one time with my fourplex. I was trying to claim that I was really, and I was active. Right, I was active back then. I uh, did all the work. I, I I actually did the leases. I actually did painting. Right, I painted when there was a tenant moved out. It was make ready. I think that was back in 2016, 2017. Uh, I actually did the painting and all of that. I was active. I was answering uh, maintenance calls. Right. You know, I had it all set up on apartments.com to put their maintenance requests. I see it, I receive the notification, and then I I go there or I schedule a contractor to go there and fix whatever the problem was. And whenever there's a turn, I show the place to tenants. 
So I was, um, I was really active, but there was no way for me to convince IRS that I was active because how do you have a 40 hour job and then be, and then claim that you are active? It's not possible. It's never going to win. So that's just, that's the, so that's the tricky part there. Yeah. Right. And yeah. having a W2 job, uh, you know, it just gets, gets in the way of, of that, but you can still get other tax advantages uh, when you sell, when yeah. you invest in the syndication, there's a return. You get a hundred percent return on your money. Mm -hmm. You don't pay any taxes on that because then you use your K1 loss, you know, it's called depreciation recapture. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to dive deep into apartment um, investing. I, I, I'm really interested in knowing how you were able to, um, how was your first deal? Like, how were you able to get into the space? Um, were you doing everything yourself? Um, so, but let's, let's just recap. So, um, the, the, the active income that he was talking about is just your W2 and he made mention of, about, um, the real estate, um, professional, which is something that could give you, um, the opportunity to depreciate your passive loss against your active income. Right. And then there is the portfolio um, income, which is the income that comes from your, maybe your stock market or um, your, the everything in the stock market, right? So that's the portfolio. And then the passive income things like oil and gas, um, apartment investing and commercial real estate in general. So um, passive, in, passive investment is just the term where your money is working for you, right? So you put in your money there and the money is working hard for you. And um, to me, that is actually my goal, right? So that my money works so hard for me, um, I don't have to level so much, you know, I can be able to do some other stuff that um, um, life would have me to do, right? So, um, so, but yeah, Dami, I, I'm really interested. Um, so what was it about apartment investing? I mean, we have some other asset class out there. We have um, oil and gas, we have um, buying land, uh, we have single family homes. What was it about about um apartment investing um that you picked interesting? Yeah, there's there's different things, right? It's it's just different things. And number one for me is the fact that it's a basic necessity of life, right? And there are two things that you can do that you never go out of business in life. And those are the two basic human needs. That's food and that's housing, shelter, right? And if you are able to provide any one of that, do you hear me? If you're able to provide any one of that and you do it well, you're going to be in business for a long time. And I like to be in business for a long time, right? And I, I thought about what is what business can I do that, um, that, that I'm going to be in business for a long time. So the inspiration was the fact that it was an undying uh, business, right? And then, you know, going back to my experience, having to commute a lot from, from New Jersey to New York, and then seeing how we were scrambling just to find somewhere we can afford uh, that's still really close to New York. Then I started thinking, I am a customer that is actually looking for a product 
There is, I can't do without that product. And that's the housing and that's the basic necessity of life. So if you provide that and you're never going to go out of business and then you become rich doing it as well. So, so, and then the inspiration was, another inspiration was time, you know, with, with family. Time is, you can't take it back. And, and, and now that I have a daughter, I have a young daughter, I, I begin to appreciate the, the, the steps that I took earlier, right? I happen to, um, you know, now focus all my time into multifamily real estate. It's still challenging, you know, we can we can talk about that, how challenging it is later, but essentially it gives you time and also the financial freedom. You have financial freedom. The other day I was, you know, I just was on a Tuesday morning and I just took off. You know, I took off with my family. We went to the zoo Tuesday morning, and I'm like, "Wow, it's twelve o'clock on Tuesday. I'm 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 going to the zoo with my daughter. I don't care if I'm not the richest man in the world. I have the freedom, right? I have the. We actually took pictures. I think I even posted posted it on Facebook, uh, on LinkedIn or something. Yeah, on LinkedIn." Right. I'm like, this is what it's about. This, this is this is all. And another thing is, we all we we all are coming from different backgrounds, right? We 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 were not all born rich. I wasn't born rich. Right? I didn't come from a rich family. We're just average middle class people. And I'm thinking, at some point, someone's got to do something. I don't I don't ever want my daughter to go through what I've what I've been through in life. Right. And I, I I I I am not prepared to wait on a check to work and wait on a check. No, to sacrifice my time and then wait on the check before I'm able to actually provide for my family. The check is good as long as I am not solely reliant on it. That's fine. Right. But I wasn't ready to do all that. I was I was just ready to change the course of my generation and start to build generational wealth. My father wasn't rich doesn't mean that I don't I wouldn't be rich. And that's one thing I appreciate about people and mature people. They don't care where you're coming from. They care where you're going to. They care what you're doing. So if you're not from a stinkingly rich family, if you don't have a trust fund and then you are like just sitting there and wanting your your kids to actually go through a lot of people are rich i'm not a rich kid right so if you're a rich if you're a rich kid i'm not talking to you right now but if you are actually coming from the struggle and you want to pass the struggle on to your kids then you are wicked because opportunity you are in the land of opportunity They're not that to me, that's just a, a great form of wickedness. So I don't want my daughter to go through the things that I've been through. So I had to take a step. I had to take action. So this the struggle has to stop at some point. And I decided that the struggle stops at me. With you. I like that. <laughs> stops with me. I think it's Ed Milet that um that was um I went to Brad Sobrock's conference, you know. So he was um teaching us and he was like, say to yourself that you are the one, right? You are the one. The whole generational hardship, the whole 
um, passing of poverty and everything right. stops with me, right? Um, and and you don't have to hand that over to your kids. You don't have to hand that over to the generation, you know, that is coming after you. And yeah. that's why I'm really passionate about the, the the subject of financial independence, right? I believe that I believe that a whole lot of people really, really do not live their life to the fullness, right? Because we spent a majority of our working years and our active years giving it to other people. Now, you rightly say there is nothing wrong with it as long as you are enjoying it, right? But some people, that is not their case. That is not their case, you know. They feel like really, really financially bound to you have to work. And and whenever I go to Walmart, right, I see like old people greeting me. That is usually like a reality check of the future that I don't want for myself. I don't want for anybody in my community, right? So I advocate you know if you go to my instagram and all that this is what i actually try to let people know that you can start planning right now even if it takes you 20 years so dami from the time that you started thinking about the whole financial freedom and everything till the time you actually hit your financial independence number what was what was the space like is it like 10 years 12 years or what was it like no no it's not that it just takes about two or three deals, two or three deals. And which that, that was about a year and a half. And the thing is, you can actually constrict that period, um, time period, right? If, if you are liquid, you can actually, you know, constrict the period, but you have to be really diligent in evaluating deals and actually seeing the returns and actually seeing what's going to look like. Now, that being said, it's going to be scattered, right? It's going to be here and there, here and there for like the first couple of weeks. Well, no weeks, for like the first couple of years, for like three, two, three years. And once you start to get into a rolling deals, and what I mean by rolling deals is rolling exits, right? Maybe next year you have a property, you have a deal that's coming uh, on exit. And being a limited partner, you have already invested in, you know, strategically in different deals and each deal is coming for exit, say every year or every two years, you know, different deals. And you know that actually just by investing maybe $50,000 or $100,000 and during exits, deal goes well, deal actually really goes well, you're getting about 150000 or 120000 back. That in itself is someone's full year salary, right? That in itself is someone. So imagine if you are just like a career. I know Charles Lamar is a career. That's one of my investors. A career, uh, syndicate, syndication investor. That's all he does. Yeah. Right. And he's got like different properties coming on for exit. Is he receives his checks, you know, uh, quarterly, monthly. Depending on the, on the deal, so it will get to a point where, as a career investor, you are no longer working your W two, but you are having streams of income and different exits coming in. Yeah, right. And what I mean by exit, people that don't don't um, are not really familiar with it is uh, just the moment at which you get your bulk of your money back plus the returns. Yeah, so that's the exit when the property goes on for sale, which is usually between three to seven years right mm -hmm. 
So investing strategically and in different in different deals, you will see that you will get to a point where you are getting an exit at least every year. Yeah. So Dami, I am I'm, I'm I'm a limited partner, or let's just say I have hundred thousand in my bank account, right? And I'm looking at getting into apartment investing. Um, what are some of the nuggets that you are going to tell me? Um, should I just invest with people first? If so, where do I find those people to invest with, right? Or should I just go out there and do my own thing, try out the waters for myself, right? Yeah. Perhaps start with a fourplex just like you did, or, you know, how do I get started? So I don't know where to turn from here. How do I get started? I'm glad you mentioned fourplex, right? And so this is going to be a long conversation. Get ready for it, people. So how do I get started? Do I just go in, you know, head first? That's a sure way to lose your 100,000. I guarantee you, you are going to lose the 100,000. No matter how smart you are, you're going to lose your 100,000. Now, if you want to invest in a fourplex, you are not going to make the exponential returns that you will if you were investing in, say, 100 units, 60 units, 200, 300 units syndication. You're not going to make the returns. It's not possible because there's economies of scale, right? And so going back to the fourplex, I really want you to, uh, let's split this into two because I'm excited about this. The fourplex question and then the what should I do? So the four, fourplex question, the fourplex is still a single family home. I don't care if you can fit if you can fit four families into it. You're still investing in a single family home. It's still it's still regarded as residential. A five unit apartment community, a five unit apartment complex is commercial. Right now, what is the uh, so, so so what's the catch with the one to four units is that you cannot scale it. You cannot force the appreciation. What do I mean by forced appreciation? Forced appreciation is the work that you do to increase the income of the assets. Because in real estate, in commercial real estate, not single family, not one to four unit, in commercial real estate, five unit and upwards, the only thing that matters when you are, when you are investing, the only thing that matters or when you're looking to, to sell or when you're looking to equity or build equity in your apartment, or when you're the only thing that matters is the income from five units and up. The only thing that matters, the only thing that determines the value of your asset is the income. Nothing else matters. Now, from for one unit to four units, it's not the income. They don't care how much it makes. If you're if, if the market rent if the market rent is ten, uh, is uh, say the gross rental in a month is like ten thousand dollars, twenty five hundred for each unit, right? And you get a tenant that is willing to pay you five thousand, just throwing numbers in the air here. And then you are now getting in a month, you're now getting about thirteen thousand in gross rent. It still doesn't matter. Guess what? It doesn't matter. No one cares, right? The value of a property is the comp. 
comparative analysis. How much did my neighbor sell for? My neighbor's house. That's what your house is worth. Now, when you start to get to the five units, now you're you're in the big league, right? You're, you're in the now you're talking about a different ball game. So if you're looking to actually do this yourself, start looking at five units upwards. If you're okay with not forcing appreciation and just getting rental, uh, which by the way, four units, it's not like the time I did it. It's no no longer similar. It's no longer the same, right? You will hardly cash flow, especially with the current interest rates. So, you know, you can have it for just having sake and hoping that interest rates go down, you refinance and then get some cash flow. It's no longer the same. So, but five units and up, you are able to do operational, you know, just make operational changes and increase the NOI because the income is the only thing that matters. And NOI is net operating income. And net operating income is the gross rental income minus the expenses. So the expenses like when the debt service, the utility bills, the insurance, the taxes, the maintenance, the administrative, you know, all that jazz. That's the expenses. Then you deduct it from the gross rental revenue, and then you arrive at your uh, net operating income. Now, the way the market is going to value your property is use the capitalization rate. Now, the cap rate, as investors, we do not have control over that. We cannot control the capitalization rate. In a way, it can be similar to comps analysis in a way because you cannot control it. So what happens? How is the value decided? Okay, first, let, let me fully explain you know, the cap rate. So the cap rate is just determined by the average of the sales given the income that all the properties have made and how much the property the property sold for. So there's a formula to calculate the value of your property. If you're investing in multifamily, commercial, there's a formula. It is the value is equal to net operating income. That's the income, right? Divided by, it's the other way around. The cap rates divided by the income. All right, that is the value. That is the value. So the value is divided by the cap rates, uh, divided by the income. No, it's the income divided by the NO, NOI divided by cap rate. I suck at math. As it is, <laughs> this is the easiest thing ever. <laughs> I generally have to pull out my model. Yeah. <laughs> So is the income divided by the cap rates. The higher the income, right? I'm sorry, the higher the value, the lower the cap rate, obviously. Right? So the lower the value, the higher the cap rates. So that's what determines it. So how do you increase the value of your assets? By increasing the income. Right. That's how that's how you increase the value of your assets. You increase the income because the NOI over cap rates, the cap rate is there. We don't have control over it. 
But if you now increase the the NOI, the value increases. Yeah. So that's how you calculate it. And how do you increase increase the value of an asset? Uh, increase the net operating income. We can get to that. I don't know if you want me to address that now, but we can get to that. So, uh, so yeah, definitely. Um, I think the 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 parent question was, um, how do I get started, right? Um, so, I mean, you have explained the the part of you know, fourplex being still part of um single family housing. And then from fiveplex and above is now multifamily, so you can actually qualify for a loan based on the 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 um DCR, I believe, the income that the property is making, right? So, I'm I just have hundred thousand in my bank account, right? I I have this great ally bank that is paying me four percent APY, um, in that particular. Why should I go and risk my money? in apartment investing. Remember, um, I believe um, Warren Buffett said that the number one rule of investing is don't lose your money, money, right? And then number two rule is remember rule number one, right? So if I have my money, I have 100K and this money is making me 4%, that is $4,000 every year mm -hmm. in Ally Bank. Why mm -hmm. do I need to move that money into an asset class like apartment investing thank you then thank you for bringing me back on point and you're gonna have to do that tonight <laughs> because okay. sometimes i stray so i guess so yeah i guess so in gross i, I stray sometimes no problem. you have to keep me on track thank you thank you for doing that so if i have a hundred thousand dollars i will 100 percent invest in real estate and why it's because it's risk adjusted right it's only the asset so what does that, that mean that, what does risk adjustment mean yes so it's 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 the fact that before you get into a uh, into a real estate deal, you already know the facts. Your your assumptions are reasonable. Everything is in your hands. You can adjust the risk by adjusting. For example, you can project you can project a higher cap rate upon exit and see what the returns of the investors are going to look like, right? If the current market cap, uh, cap rate is 4.75, you can project that. And if it's a healthy economy like Dallas, right, you can project that in five years when we're trying to exit this asset, we can either keep the cap rate at 4.75 or even increase it. So if you increase, that means with the income at the time, because you would have been having a rental increase and all of that, which technically going by the formula, the value of the asset is increasing, right? Which means the, the cap rate is compressing, right? And if the cap rate is compressing, which means that the value is increasing, but, and, you know, it's compressing, which at that point in five years, if everything is going well, you're looking at maybe 4.2, 4.25 in cap rates as against the 4.75 that you bought the asset for because it's actually increased in value but you are projecting based on oh we don't know what can happen there could be an earthquake there could be anything in the future so what are we going to do to make sure that come what may if the heavens fall down how are we sure that we are not losing money we're actually pro protecting the investors capital 
So at that point, we say, okay, on our model, let's 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 put it at 4.75 or or 4.5, even lower cap rates, and see what the returns look like. And now we go to the investors and say that you are going to make six percent, knowing that we've already adjusted the risk. We are going to surprise you by making you eight percent, right? In the actual, you know, reality of things, if projections actually go well, if everything goes well. But if everything doesn't go well, if shit hits the fan, and there's a policy tomorrow, and there's a recession, and everything is going back down, we have already adjusted for that. So we have already adjusted for that risk. And now you're actually making your 6% that we projected to you. Right? So that is the fact that it is risk adjust. Before you get into any deal, you're adjusting for risk. Another example, if you are trying to obtain financing loan, right? And you're getting a fixed debt. Of course, I always advise that you get a fixed debt whenever you're doing, you know, long time, uh, long-term multifamily uh, financing and you're not just flipping or doing any any crazy stuff. So if you're getting a fixed debt and you're paying 5%, you want to underwrite the deal as though you were paying 5.5% in interest rate and see what the returns like. So all, all those factors are incorporated into, they're incorporated into uh, the projections that you get from your operator and they will tell you, oh, you're gonna make 6% of your money. And that's because they've already thought about the worst case scenario. So that's what they mean by being risk adjusted. And that's why multifamily real estate or any real estate syndication for that matter is uh, it's actually, it's, that's why they say it's risk adjusted. And that's why we love it. That's why we love this game. Makes sense, makes sense. So. Comparing it to savings account, how would you how how is multifamily better than just leaving my money in leaving my hundred thousand in in Ally Bank, which pays um four percent APY? Okay, so um, so actually, there there was a time I was paying negative, right? Isn't it? The what? There was a time savings savings accounts were actually negative. Yeah, right? yeah. So so the thing is. As an entrepreneur, you, you should be thinking. And the banks prey, the banks actually prey on people. And it's, it's systemic, right? This is what we've been uh, made to live with for a long time, right? They give you 4% and then use your money because you are a saver, because you're a loser, right? They give you, they give you your 4%. They say, Here you go, head on. With your four percent, and then they lend other, they lend the money out at six percent or eight percent, depending on the economy, right? Or at seven percent, and they make money. Why don't you be be the bank? Why don't you use mm. the money just the same way that the banks are using it? These people are not smarter than you. I mean, we are Niger people now. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, we are smart enough to actually build wealth in another man's land. Mm. We are not supposed to be making them rich. Our payback for enslaving our forefathers will be, actually be to own the land 
to actually own the land. I want to own the land. I want to own as many lands. As, my cousin is buying lands like crazy in Dallas, Texas. He's just buying 70 acres, 20 acres, because it's like, you say, Egbon, I did vex. <laughs> That's what it tells me. <laughs> so, so in, invest in properties. Four percent as against six percent that you're going to get K one losses. That you're going to get hundred and thirty two, hundred and fifty percent return on your money. It's mm -hmm. a no brainer. It's a no brainer, and you don't even have to it's just just like you putting your money in the saving, and just having your money rot due to. Okay, you say they're paying you four percent. Do you know the rate of inflation? I just googled it right now. It's at three point seven percent. I was even gonna say three percent. You know, it was gotten that bad. Yeah. So if you are getting, <laughs> so if you are getting four percent and mm -hmm. the rate of inflation is three point seven percent, you are actually it's even gotten better. That's why I said it was negative before. Mm. So now it's like point three points. Yes, it doesn't make sense. You are not making money. Mm -hmm. So so we've been we've been conditioned to think that four one k is our way out. It's not. Yeah. Because you are actually losing money. Or you're actually snail growing your money. Yeah. Now, you know, I don't know. So some personal story. I had to really work a lot on my wife because, you know, and try to be patient and try to educate before she got into the investor mindset. She earlier was in a, you know, scarcity mindset. Hey, I have to save 401k, 401k. I'm like, really? You should be using money, not saving money. You should make money work for you, not you working for money. I got to save for retirement. You have to just take your two weeks vacation and all of that. And that money in 401k, some people are getting, they're getting 10 times richer because of that money that you're putting in your 401k. Bank of America called me. I mistakenly just used the account for something. It was a transaction, right? They called me trying to make me leave the money in the account, talking about I'm going to be a preferred member of something. I was like, look, look, I don't save money. The money is just there. It's, it's going to go. It's, the money is leaving in less than one week. The money is going to leave the account. Don't bother. I want to have you talk to our financial advisor. Uh, I said, no, I don't save money. I don't save money. I'm, I'm not a saver. There's no point that you, I will have money in my account. Because what's it doing there? When it's supposed to be working? It's supposed to be working for me. Yeah. So let's let's do the calculation for people who don't really understand what Dami is trying to explain here, right? So I have 100000 in my account, right? And Ally Bank is paying me 4%, 4% APY. That is that is my rate of return. If I left that 100000 for a whole year into in the Ally Bank, right? But Dami is saying that the inflation, so when you think about it this way, inflation is the general increase in, in prices of goods and services. So you went to Walmart, you went to go buy a refrigerator today, right? It's costing you like around $1,000, right? And you come back and they're telling you inflation has acted. The, the, the price has increased by 3%. You understand? So you are going to pay more, right? But you, the money in the bank is only earning you like 4% and inflation is increasing, right? So the 
the the the price of the money you used to buy the goose yesterday is not the price you are going to buy it for today right so what he's saying is that you are actually losing that your money is actually growing by just 0.03% right that is just as a, that that's as of today as, as of, of today, today that you just checked right yeah for a long time it was negative Mm -hmm. due to the inflation the inflation so yeah yeah that's that's what it is yeah so i mean relatively how does how would one um make money in apartment investing i mean we've we've established the fact that um real estate can also be uh inflation proof how does that work um with apartment investing okay so being inflation proof is something that is really practical and by that i mean that we have the control so real estate investments, especially in multifamily, we have the control. In a recession, we are able to make operational changes, reduce expenses, increase revenue, and ensure that our assets continue to perform and that we are limiting vacancies as, as uh, efficiently as possible. An example is, you know, reducing expenses is, say, you have a clubhouse, Right. You have a clubhouse in your community and, it, you know, it's always open. But now there's a recession. People are actually not earning as they used to earn. There's been pay cuts. There's been you know, layoffs and all of that. And a tenant is moving out or two tenants have moved out because they cannot afford afford to pay it, uh, the, the rent. So what do you do as an operator, as an experienced syndicator? You look for ways to reduce expense. That clubhouse that y'all used to go every weekend to enjoy and just to hang out, we are not going to limit it. Uh, we are not going to limit the um, have have the hours not, uh, operation hours of operation limited. So we're going to say instead of you know it being open uh, you know twelve hours a day, it's not going to be open three hours a day. So yeah, yeah, essentially you're saving on utilities, you're saving on the light, you're saving on water. Right. You are saving there. You can stop to provide some things. You can stop to provide, like, if, if you had a internet, if you're providing internet for the apartment community, for some class B, class A assets, that internet that, you know, they provide, and then you have to pay for that internet. You can stop providing that just to reduce expenses, right? You can take concessions. You can take concessions. Um, you can tell, you can do referrals. Hey, you're going to pay. So we have the operational control. Right. And realistically, multifamily units, and, and this then goes back to the argument of, should I do my own thing? Should I buy two units, four units, you know, uh, three units? When one tenant moves out, mm. three units, mm. already have 30% occupancy or 33% occupancy. Yeah. When one tenant moves out in four units you already have 75 percent occupancy yeah that alone is a problem because it's gonna eat deep really deep into your cash flow that is a problem now compare that to if you had a 100 unit apartment community one person moves out so what two people move out so what three so what four so what right mm -hmm. because there is cash, there is gross rental income that is just so much, and you are paying only this, only you know, so much in expenses. Yeah, 
you're still able to actually balance. It's it really not doesn't good. It's not going to affect you. Yeah. So if if you have underwritten conservatively, having a tenants move out or two tenants or even ten tenants move out, it's not going to affect you. Now let me tell you something. Do you know that if you're trying to get agency debt, Fannie and Freddie? Uh, okay. So let, let me break that down. So Fannie and Freddie, those Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae, those are government agencies that back debt, co conventional loans, especially mm -hmm. in the commercial real estate. So you go to a lender and say you want money. The government has those two agencies that actually have their own lending guidelines. So when you go to the bank and you say you want money, the bank is thinking that when they loan you the money, they sell that loan. They package the loan and sell it as CBMS, commercially backed mortgage, right, services. So they sell it in the secondary market. And who buys that, especially for multifamily properties? Who, who, who buys the, 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 your loan? It's Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae. Right? Federal Home Loans Mortgage Services, they're government agencies. And they have their underwriting guidelines. So if you are a lender, you don't follow their underwriting guidelines, you are you're on your own. Because when they check and you package the deal and you say, hey, this is a deal, we want money so we can lend to other people. When they check your underwriting guidelines and they see that you you haven't followed their underwriting guidelines, you don't get you don't get to sell it. You get to keep it on your books. As a lender, you keep it on your books because you're never able to sell it in the secondary market. Some people, some investors actually invest in CMBS. They buy your mortgage. So it's not so the point I was trying to make is at 90% occupancy, take for example a 300 apartment community. 90% occupancy is for 300 and so that's 270, right? 270 units. That's you will still get a, a mortgage. You will still get the money. You will still get a loan. You will still be okay. Yeah. If, if 30 people moved out, mm -hmm. 30, 30 tenants, if you lose 30 tenants out of 300, you are okay. Because part of their underwriting guidelines, because they, they themselves, they know. That's why they will not lend you money if your property has gone below 90% occupancy for 90 days. So yeah. there's a 90-90 rule. Yeah. So that means they're comfortable if your property is 90% occupied. Even the government is comfortable lending you the money because they know that you are able to cover your debt. Compare that to four units. Compare that to three units. Come on. Come on. Yeah. So guys, what what Dami is trying to explain is that you know the apartment of um uh, sorry the the importance of um um economies of scale in apartment investing right so basically the bigger the better um with apartment investing um so if you have like a three hundred unit building um you are not going to feel the impact if like two people move out of the apartment complex compared to you you are the landlord of a single family home. And then one of your tenant leaves, then you have this period where you are running helter skelter looking for another tenant. Then you have to go through another vetting process, right? So even though the money is deployed in single family home, you are the landlord there. Whatever happens, you have only one stream of income, right? But with apartment 
investment, you have like 300 streams of income. So let me let me bring this home for a little bit. There was um, there's a deal that I got into in San Antonio. So very nice, um, beautiful deal. 200. I know that deal. I know that deal. You know Riverbend. I know. You, you, you're talking about uh, Ray, Ray's deal, right? No, 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 not that one. No, oh, it's okay. it's a Riverbend, um, Riverbend apartment in, in San Antonio. So basically, um, something happened where um, some people weren't paying um, rent. Um, so they, they had to file for eviction for a whole lot of them, right? So the property will break even at about 65% occupancy, meaning that, you know, um, for the property to start losing money, you have to kick about 35 people out of the apartment for the property to balance so that it can pay all its rent, right? So um, we're able to take a deep dive, you know, because a whole lot of people left the apartment and that affected our income, you know. So they were paying they were paying us a, a certain amount. And when the whole eviction was happening, the, 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 the cash on cash, which is the uh, monthly cash flow that you receive from the property was divided into two. Right. So this is what happens with apartment investing is just like every other business. Right. You make money and um, and um, there is also the, you know, the profit and loss part of it. Right. But guess what? At a point in time, the people, new people are going to start moving into that apartment. Right. And income is going to grow back to what it was before. So that is what Dami is trying to explain that even though you might take a hit, one person might move or three people might move out. Um, your property is still going to be making money, be able to pay for um, its um, expenses because there are expenses involved with apartment investing. You are not really on there managing the apartments on day-to-day -day basis. You hire somebody to manage the apartment for you and you collaborate with the people. You are now the asset manager. So we are going to open up the conversation for questions. So if you have any question um just um let me know lift up your hand um you can unmute yourself or just type in the chat button i'm going to ask the 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 question for you so dami i have um additional question for you as as we wait on our um people to ask questions so okay. what has been what has been how has real estate apartment investing been very rewarding for you um what is what is the um the gains that you you are making so far in apartment investing so for me it's been really rewarding right it's essentially seeing the fruit of your labor seeing what you actually suffered for come to fruition that is really important i think the gratification and real estate has a lot of delayed gratification right and by the time you start to get gratified for all your long suffering i, I think you get to a point of reflection that you actually think that you should have or you could have actually started to do this uh, uh, sooner. Another thing is it's rewarding in the sense that the people you meet along the way, the connections that you make, there is no how that you are invested in multifamily real estate and and so it's just like a bubble. It's 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 very much like a bubble where some people don't even know a dang thing about it. But once you know, and once you meet someone that knows, you connect immediately. 
So I met a lot of people along the way, a lot of nice. And one thing I've noticed is people that are in real estate actually want to help each other, right? They actually want to help each other. And it's rewarding to just sit back and see that, you know, you, especially for me, I took the leap and now there's the, there is a time freedom and that I appreciate that so much now when, you know, now that I have a daughter, you know, the time you can never, because honestly, you can never take back that time. You can never take that back, uh, back that time that you spend with your loved ones. Right. So um, that's the number one thing for me. And that's always been my motivation right from the start. Thank you. So, Michael, Michael, you have a question. Go ahead, unmute yourself and um, ask your question. Yeah, uh, thanks for everything you said, um, Dami and um, John for hosting. Thank you so much. Um, my question is relating to the interest, current interest rate, right? Uh, I don't think you guys really went into it. For like first time home buyers like us or people who want to invest, we're really concerned about the rates because if this rate continues to increase, let's say one or two percent in a year, so that means we're looking at eight, nine percent, right? So on the financial side, what that means is it's gonna be a lot of burden for someone who wants to invest because invariably you will not be creating a lot of equity. Equity will go, your money, your fund basically goes to the bank. So on a 400 K house and with a with 9% in like four or five years, you only generate like 30 K equity, right? So what's your view about that? And do you think the rates will come down? And um, how do you assure some of us that want to take the risk maybe next year or so to like go into real estate? What assurance do we have that, you know, we're not just making money for the bank? Good question. Uh, no assurance, right? There is there is absolutely zero assurance. Um, the interest rate can go to 10% next, next year. But there's been a group, uh, and because I really I started the market a lot, and and the ten year Treasury bill at this point, I think yesterday tickled down a little bit. I think about two hundred basis points to four point four point seven something. I know it was, it was like four point six something, and that's the benchmark for determining the interest rates, right? So the ten year Treasury bill actually tickled down due to the Fed meeting that held on Wednesday when Jerome Powell said that they will hold interest rates still for this for the foreseeable future. So they're not increasing the interest rate for the time being. But we don't know the next Fed meeting if they're going to be doing that. Now, back to your question, which is single-family homes. So if I understand your question correctly, you're thinking maybe, uh, you're thinking about investing in single-family homes, correct? Correct. Okay, for that, I don't know anybody that is currently investing in single family homes from due to the due to the interest rates. Right. So I will if you are not buying a home as a matter of necessity, then I don't see the point paying eight percent or seven seven point five percent in buying a property. And you call it investment. It's not. If you are buying for your family, you need to move or you need to your family is growing, you need a bigger space. 100%. I totally understand paying 8% because at the end of the day, interest rate is not going to stay there forever. Right? It's going to fluctuate. Right? So 
for single family homes, I actually know someone as a single family homes uh, investor. They have 100% passed on buying single family homes for investment because there's no cash flow. There is right. no equity. They're not going to build anything doing under um, single family homes. Now, multifamily in the other way, and I get the sense of ownership that people get from actually having their name on the title. Right. A lot of people get a sense of ownership, having their name on the title of a property. But if you are a businessman and you are actually thinking about the returns, the money that you're going to make back by investing in real estate, then I'll encourage you to look into different types of syndications, syndications in general because of economies of scale. Do you know that while you are paying 8% for your single family home, we 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 currently are under contract for a 228-unit Class A apartment community in Tomball, which is a really great neighborhood in the north of Houston. Interest rate 6.4 due to the economies of scale. The last deal will close, even though the benchmark and people were paying for single family homes, interest rate of 7, 7.8%, we paid 6.15% interest rate. A lot of people don't know this, but when you start playing in the big leagues, when you start getting into syndications, everything becomes cheaper. Even your property management. <sighs> Do you know that single family home, except you want to manage it yourself, you're going to be paying 8% in, up, in management fees to the property management company. Do you know that for multifamily properties, 100 units and up, some even 50 units, 60 units, Michael, you're paying 3%. You're paying 3%. That's the industry standard. It's not negotiating. It's not doing anything. That is the industry standard for property management fees. 3% as against 8%. There is economies of scale going big. Fine. You're going in with a bunch of people. You don't have your name on the title. But you're making returns much more than if you were investing in single family homes. A lot of people invest in single family homes, like I earlier mentioned, for you know pride of ownership. They have their name on the title. But as, as a businessman, we are thinking about numbers. I don't care if I don't have my name on anything. As long as I'm making money. I don't care. So I think um, that answers your question. But if you're still looking to invest in single-family homes, I will advise you. Now, if I were in your shoes, and I know that I must buy a single-family home as a matter of investing, not necessity. Necessity, I'll say do it now. If you find a house that you love, that you like, that you want to live in, do it now. Interest rates might get better. It might, get, it might go up, but you're already living in a house that you love. Who cares? But if it's for investment, I'll just say just you know wait it out a little bit. You know, let let let's. It's just not a good time. Just like flippers, flippers have stopped even flipping houses. Yeah, guys, it, it doesn't really make sense right now, and the 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 economics doesn't really work out. The numbers doesn't make sense to to go the single family route. Yes, there are opportunities in there, but 
Um, when you're thinking about investment, I would say just rethink that. Um, so we are still open for questions. Just so if you guys have any question you want to ask um, our guests about um, apartment investing, that is the, the topic of today, how you can get started, right? So Dami, um, one more question for you. How do we um, meet um, deal sponsors? So for the people who want to um, start thinking about apartment investing, um, they want to invest, um, but don't know where to meet like deal sponsors. How do we meet those deal sponsors? I mean, you have a deal sponsor in front of you talking to you right now, <laughs> right? So, and you could be any deal sponsor. It could be any deal sponsor, right? As long as you just you trust their underwriting, you trust their experience, you, you, you trust what they're doing. You, you, you trust that they know what they're doing and they are open because Number one thing in a syndication is communication. If you want to know a good syndicator, you have to know their mode of communication. You have to get referrals, right? You want to talk to their existing investors, people that have invested with them in the past. You want to know how their communication was with them. We at Westwood Capital, like we like to over-communicate. We under-deliver, we over-promise, we, we over-communicate with you um, for, the, for better or worse, right? If anything if nothing is going well you'll be the first to know and um and another thing is we we keep assets management in-house now for those who don't understand the difference between property management and asset management the assets management or the asset manager actually hires the property management company so if you have a permanent community there's an office there's a, a on-site manager and there's a regional manager the regional manager manages their the property management company's business in the area. So they oversee uh, property managers in different apartments. But we actually hire the property management company. So we are the asset managers. And a lot of people ask, you as a syndicator, apart from taking my money, what else do you do? I can assure you, we do not party with your money. That's not what we do. <laughs> Definitely not. Um I think we'll need another session because I know we're running out of time. I think we need another session. I really want to talk, you know, but so basically you want to, um, you, you, you want to talk to a syndicator yeah. and uh, you, you, you're already talking to one and mm -hmm. John is actually a syndicator. He's, he's, he's get he's gotten into the GP, uh, yeah. GP, GP model. And that's that's great, right? That's yeah. that's just great. Um, you can talk to John, mm -hmm. and he's gonna he's gonna he's actually really. And this is something that I really appreciate about John. He is so knowledgeable with syndications, with apartments, with putting deals together, right? He's so knowledgeable. So that's that would be a place to start. Yeah, that would be a place to start. Except. Of course, you don't mind the high interest rates of, um, in, of single family homes. I want to do single family homes. Yeah, that sorry, means you I can... have a question. Oh, sorry, okay. uh, my back is about to die, and I know we're all right. Go ahead. go ahead. Okay. Um, quick question. So, I know you guys are into syndication, I know, and but I don't think you guys covered or touched on how do you even get started. Like, I mean, you said okay, talk to the syndicator and find out how. So. Do you because everybody you let's say you finally saved your first fifty k or so and you're looking forward to pack you, put your money. How do you get started 
knowing how to do your due diligence because I heard Dami uh, mentioning some numbers, NY and all of that. For somebody who is um, green, you are hearing NY for the first time, you're hearing cap rate and you're hearing uh, comp. Okay. How do you even, and but then, yeah, okay, you have this 50 grand or whatever it okay. is and then you're looking to pack your money. How do you know the syndicator? How do you okay. do your due diligence? How do you even get to know the people and the the people who have been um who have um syndicated with this person who have partnered with this person so like you guys just i don't think we talked about like how do you okay go from getting started because anybody can walk up to you and say hey yeah come and invest in my deal or i'm an apartment syndicator do you just say oh great okay yeah finally i found somebody and then take my money and then send me send me i love this question yeah. <laughs> I, I love this question yeah and i think we really need to dial in and drill down on yeah. the actual process right and like i said I, I could talk on and on but quick tip right if you're looking at a syndicator what you want to do is check the track record if they're a new syndicator if they've been if they're an experienced investor they've been invested for a while they've been investing in lp deals for a while and now want to syndicate who is on their team? You want to know who the who the person on their team is because you want experience on the team. You want to you want to make sure that they have tax experience on the team. They have accounting experience of the team, property management experience on the team, engineering experience on the team, lending, that's the financing part, experience on their team, right? And you want to make sure that you want to know how they underwrite their deals. I can walk you through how we underwrite our deals at Westwood Capital. And now, this one is on you to actually uh, do your due diligence on the syndicator themselves. And practically, I'm talking about doing background checks, actually getting reference from them. You actually call. A lot of people get lazy. Call an investor that this that has actually invested with the syndicator in the past. Do criminal background checks, right? If it's possible, do credit checks. You don't want to invest with someone that is financially under, Right? Actually, check their bank bankruptcy records, check whatever criminal records and have. so that you have to do all that and then know um, know how they underwrite. Practically, I can walk you through how we underwrite at Westwood Capital. I can walk you through it. Dami, right? can you I don't go think ahead we have time. Can you go ahead and post your contact information in the in the chat so that you know people can reach okay. out to you? So I went ahead and put my um so if you're looking for a syndicator, um, I'm a syndicator myself. You can start by talking to myself or Dami, just figure out now in, in real estate, we are not competing, <laughs> right? So that's why I'm comfortable telling Dami, put your contact information there, right? Because it's always a team sports. In real estate, there is no how I can. I mean, the the last deal I did was um was fourteen point four million. I mean Dallas, Texas, and um, the minimum commitments was sixty k in that deal. There's no how the deal sponsor alone was able to buy that deal by himself. Otherwise, he wouldn't need us who are the you know, capital raises and all that, right? So it's a team sport in real estate, right? So we come together, we fund all this big unit apartment and we win together. And that's that's my mentality. I want Dami to win. I want myself to win. And I want everybody here to win, right? So um, do we have any more questions? Um, I know we are approaching time here. but First of you... all, I want, I want to confirm that I answered Fumi's question. Fumi, did I answer your question satisfactorily? 
Yeah, yes. Okay. To a good to a good extent, yeah. So for me, for me, we can we can also get on the call and talk. There are there are lots of um, um acronyms that you need to get comfortable with, like the NOI he was explaining, the cap rates. Um, what what do all of those mean, right? Um, and one thing that I've come to learn with real estate investments, and I know Dami agrees with me on this, right? Um, moving forward, I don't do anything variable rate you know or even if it has to do with variable i want to understand how what are the assumptions they use to underwrite those deals right um because you know the the market was really tough like um, this year and we got to figure out um what syndicators were there just for the money some people wanted to move too fast too soon and they really got bumped in the process right so remember what um um what this guy said warren buffett right the first rule of money remember do not lose your money that's just the thing don't lose your money and i i i mean i see yemi on the on the call here i've had like about two or three conversations with yemi just explaining what is the intricacies involved with you know apartment investing and i like doing that because i like people who take due diligence first before they release their money this is our hard end money right and if you are releasing it or investing with somebody it has to be somebody that you trust you have to understand the game you have to understand apartment investing um before before you um invest what's going on Okay, um, Dami, could you check your check your website? Um, somebody is having an issue with assessing it. All right, do we have any more questions no, in the fine. house? Um, website is fine. Do you type it? Do you type the the um, website the URL? Let me let me go there. I think someone asked, "Where do you find these syndicators?" In the chat, Laura. Every. Yes, I'm the one who asked. Yeah, so you guys have not attended to that. Where do you find syndicators? A so syndicator I'm... will come to you through marketing, or yeah. um, a syndicator will come to you through marketing or through what we are doing currently. Um, I am a syndicator. John is a syndicator. You just want to know. You just want to do your due diligence. Um, there are a lot of syndicators out there, um, so it's it's really pretty easy to to find a syndicator. Okay, thank you. Another okay. another place to find them. Um, this is how I, I I found my own syndicators. So when I I got involved with the in the game, I live in Dallas, Texas, right, and um, I. I, I used an app called meetup.com, right? I searched for apartment investing near me and it showed me like people who are organizing meetings, um, apartment investing meetings, right? Or you can go to Facebook. Um, so I went to one of those meetup um, meetups and um, I met this guy that um, introduced a guy called Brad Sumrock to me. So Brad Sumrock is like a trainer in the Dallas area, right? He organizes like conferences three times a year. And so when I went to those conferences, I, I, I went in with my ID card and um, I was actively networking with people, right? So that was how I got to know a lot of the syndicators that I know right now um, by just going to those conferences. This December, actually, 
um next month i'm going to grand cordon's conference so this is how it's apartment investing is an active networking um, business you must have to get out there right um learn the business meet people um how did i meet dami i went to a conference and i met his um his partner and the partner connected me to dami right so it's it's all about networking and now i know dami just bought a deal in arlington texas um, which we didn't even talk about today, right? But um, but yeah, this is this is the game, right? You, it's it's a people's game. You must have to get to know people, um, figure out um, what is going on. There is actually a deal in the market right now, but usually I don't advise people to um, just invest your money just like that. You have to take your time, um, lend the business, figure out um, is apartment investing really for you, right? Before you you go in there. So do we have any more question? Um, I would like to start wrapping up right now. Okay. All right. So back to, back to why we are here, right? So um, this, this podcast, we are geared towards um, bringing people who um, renowned people to come talk to us about their financial independence journey how they accomplished that feat and uh, what was the process like for them. Um, so we really want to thank you, Dami, for availing your time. Um, and I know people just reach out to Dami through the website, um, you know, book a session, talk to him, figure out what he's doing and, and see how you can and start investing in apartment space. Um, my, my, my calendar is also there if you want to book a section with me um, to talk to me about what I'm doing and figure out how I can figure out how I can add value to you and your business. So back back when I was in Nigeria, I figured out that there was a correlation between um, the number of units my dad had and the lifestyle we were able to maintain then. Um, so when my dad stopped working um, around um, when he was, you know, very old, um, he stopped working and we were able to maintain the level of lifestyle we were living then. Why? Because we were collecting rent from the um, real estate that he invested in. So that was that was something that was ingrained in me um, at a very, very young age. Um, when I came here, I was hearing about 401k and everything. It didn't really mean anything to me because I wanted to replicate the model that my dad had, right? Which is have more apartments, have more real estate buildings um, taking care of you. And you have more control over your life by doing that. So that's the reason. And uh, that's the reason why I'm doing this. And I want to bring the knowledge to my community, how we can all grow together and win together and become financially independent together. So I want to thank all of you for availing your time um, to be here today. I see a lot of my friends who came to support me today. I truly, truly do appreciate it. So next December, next month um, in December, we're going to be bringing somebody that um, I really, really treasure. Um, so I'm going to be... Um, I'm sending you guys notification for that. I hope you all do join me for um, our next one. Dami, thank you so much, my brother. Appreciate your wealth of knowledge today. And um, yeah, thank you all and um, lessons to you.
Yeah, and one one quick note, and uh, you know, whenever we have this this type of sessions, and a lot of people are get more curious with how this works, and that is normal. Um, I would encourage you to reach back out to John with any questions that you have, and and then if you have any questions for me, you can also reach out to me, and I'll be so very much happy to answer answer your questions. Right, like. I wish this wasn't even coming to an end because I always enjoyed talking about this thing. So, um, yeah, one more thing. Um, I, I've just sent a text to, the, to my tech guy so you can check the website uh, much later, uh, you know, towards the end of the night. And thank, thank you all for being here and thank you for having me. As we conclude another eye-opening episode of Escape Velocity, we're thrilled to have been a part of your financial independence journey, and we hope you're leaving with newfound insights. Please hit subscribe so you can stay up to date on new episodes. Until next time.